Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. When I was about 20 years old, I got invited to speak at this kids' camp in Salem, Oregon. And um, this camp, it was located near a river, and uh, Oregon gets pretty hot in the summer. And so in the mid-afternoon, usually all the leaders and kids would go to this, this river bank kind of area, and we'd just swim and hang out. And so, uh, but the river, the river itself was not one of those, like, uh, gentle rivers. It was like white river rafting kind of rivers. Like it's pretty rough looking. And so one afternoon, uh, some of the guys, the leaders were like, hey, we want to swim across it. And, uh, and I looked at them and I said, good for you. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not swimming. I'm not great at swimming. So you guys have fun. And so they took off. And as they took off, um, I'm just hanging out, just hanging out with some kids and and next thing I noticed is that one of the kids, who's a little bit older, went with them. And uh, he's swimming, and I'm looking, and from, from where I'm standing in that moment is that, that it looks like he is drowning, but, but it's not really, like it it's kind of looks like drowning. And from my angle, I'm like, I'm not sure, but I look around, and I'm the only leader there. And so what I do, I'm like, I got to swim towards him. I have to. If I don't, he, he might drown. And so I dive in, and I take off swimming as fast as I can towards this kid who I think is drowning. And so as I'm swimming as fast as I can towards him, I, I'm getting to the middle of this river. There's a huge current. It's really rough. I'm still swimming towards him. And I'm about, you know, about 10 feet from him, pretty close to him. And I realize he's not drowning. Uh, that's how he swims. It's, uh, you know, one hand, one hand underwater kind of coming out, um, and it's, it's not really drowning at all. But, but in this moment, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I have been swimming as far, as fast as I can, full of adrenaline, kind of trying, thinking in my mind that I'm going to save this kid, right? And so I'm, 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 I'm back, I want to save him, and, and then I realize he doesn't need saving, but then I do. And so I'm in the middle of this river, it's pretty fast going, and I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted, and I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I, I remember thinking, like, okay, God, really, I'm going to die drowning? Like, that, that was a thought that went through my mind. Um, and, then, and then I was like, okay, this is how I die. And I remember, like, Things kind of slowing down for me. Uh, I, life did not flash in front of my eyes. If, you know, people say that. That didn't happen to me. But it was pretty, like, kind of slowing down moment. And, and, and I kind of was like, okay, like, this is how I go. And next thing you know, I hid the, the other side. Somehow, in that moment of me giving up, the current took me. I, I wasn't even paddling at this moment. I wasn't, you know, swimming. I just kind of was, it was a moment where I was like pure exhaustion of just going, okay, I'm done. But yet the current took me and I made it to the other side. So I was saved, even though I sure for a moment I thought I was going to die. And so if you were here with us last week, you, you may remember that that's where we left off uh, in Jonah, in the book of Jonah, that he is sinking um, in, the, in the sea, thinking that he is going to die. And, uh, and if you remember from chapter 1, 
God called Jonah to go. God called Jonah to go to a great city, and Jonah gets up. He gets up, but he goes the opposite direction. He gets up, and he goes the opposite direction. He disobeys God. He gets on the ship to Tarshish and goes to the bottom of the ship and falls asleep. And while they're traveling, God sends a great storm upon them, and the sailors wake Jonah up, and eventually he tells them, Jonah tells the sailors, look, you got to throw me overboard so your lives are saved. And, uh, and that's, that's where we left off last week. We talked about the storms of life. We talked about what, what is this all going on? What does that even mean? And so Jonah is thrown, thrown overboard to save people he doesn't really know that well. And God, in the midst of all that, is ahead of Jonah. And he not only saves the sailors, but he also saves Jonah. And that's the last verse of chapter 1. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah thought that he was probably going to die. Like when he told the sailors to throw me overboard, he thought, look, I'm going to die, but God saves him. And he, his, but, but he saves him but to a belly of a fish. It's just pretty dark in there. And the fish is taking him farther down. And as he goes to the lowest of lows, as Jonah goes to the lowest of lows, as he hits the rock bottom, he is literally in the lowest point in his life. In that moment, in the lowest moment of his life, in that moment, Jonah finds true salvation is knocking at his door. And as that's happening, we get to sit. We get to sit in the front row uh, to a conversation that Jonah is having with God. A conversation that Jonah is is having with God that that while he is in the lowest of lows. He's having this conversation when he is literally in the bottom of a sea. Both physically and spiritually. And this prayer that we're going to study will teach us, show us, reveal to us what salvation truly looks like and what repentance really is. And what repentance really is. So, um, if you're able, let's stand, let's read this prayer together um, and from Jonah 2, and we'll read this out loud together. Jonah chapter 2. This, it should be up there. If you can't see that, just read it from your Bibles uh, in front of you. So, let's read. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered, Out of the belly of the Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your ways and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, 
will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. So, before we jump in, before we study this prayer, um, before we study this, we need to talk about two things. We need to talk about two things. We need to talk about the fish, and we need to talk about imagery, right? So, we need to talk about the fish, and the reason I want to talk about the fish is because if we don't talk about the fish, to some in this room, it will be a distraction, It will be a distraction, and the fish will be a distraction, and you won't be able to hear what God is actually wanting you to hear in this prayer. Like, you're just going to be focused on the fish, dwelling on it, so we got to talk about the fish. So in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish. Notice that it doesn't say a whale. It doesn't say a whale here. Uh, So so those who think that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, they kind of skip this verse. Right? Like, they didn't read this verse. There's no whale here. It just says great fish. It was a fish. And uh, the story of Jonah is one of the most, it's a well-known stories. And often you hear that it's a story about Jonah and a big whale. Like, if you Google Jonah, there's probably a big whale in Jonah. Just, just I mean, I have no idea where they got that. That, that is just not part of the text. Um, but the text says Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And um, Sinclair Ferguson is a Scottish theologian. When he's addressing this fish, he says in his commentary, this fish must be the most criticized fish that ever swam in the Mediterranean. <laughs> this fish, and maybe the world, like this fish is criticized. It is criticized. And what's sad about it is what's sad about it is that this fish, the, 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 what's sad is that the fish isn't the point of the story at all. It's mentioned for two brief moments, and there's no description details at all. And the way the author is writing this, he's simply reporting the facts and does not want the reader to be distracted by the fish. And if we focus too much on the fish, we may lose sight of a great God and the point of the story. Tim Keller, in his book about Jonah, says this. He says, how you respond to this will depend on how you read the rest of the Bible. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus, a far greater miracle, then there's nothing particularly difficult about Jonah, reading Jonah, Jonah literally. And that's true, right? We talk about the cross and the resurrection weekly. Every week we, we talk about the gospel And if we believe that, then this story should not be a stumbling block for us. But if that is not enough for you, if that's not enough for you, the fact that Jesus believed that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish should at least change your mind, or at least make you realize that Jesus believed this. And so if you look at Matthew 12, 38 through 40, this is the conversation that Jesus is having with Pharisees and scribes. And so, uh, verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to, to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For, the sign, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of, heart of the earth. You see, Jesus had read Jonah, and he compares Jonah and what he went through to what Jesus was going to go through. And so if the fish is a stumbling block for you, I would say look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Is Jesus a stumbling block for you? And if Jesus is a stumbling block for you, if that's the case, then let's grab a cup of coffee and let, let me tell you why I love, uh, love and believe in Jesus and why I think it's true what he says. I would love to talk to you about it more if Jesus is a stumbling block for you. Otherwise, let's remember that the fish is hardly the point. Okay? So, this great fish swallows Jonah and takes him down. Now, the second thing, the second thing that I wanted to mention before we jump into this prayer is the imagery and the poetic language of chapter 2. Chapter two. Um, this prayer is thoughtfully and intentionally composed. And so it's a full of watery language, uh, of watery imagery. Like it mentions the sea, the flood, the waves, the billows. And at one point Jonah says, the water's closing in over me. So this prayer is full of water, water imagery. And it makes a ton of sense. Why, right? Like uh, J- uh, Jonah is drowning and he's in, literally in the belly of the fish. And so it makes sense that he would use the water, li- water language or water imagery. So, but what does water usually symbolize in the Bible? If we zoom out for a second, you zoom out and go all the way to Revelation 21.1, John is writing about the heaven, what heaven is like, and we usually talk about that there's no more tears and no more suffering. But right before that, right before that verse, it says, Then I saw a new, this is John talking, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. He just said that the sea was no more. What does he mean? The sea, the water in the Bible is the image of chaos and disorder and confusion. And in the creation account, the book of Genesis, God takes disorder and orders it. Like if you read the Genesis account, that's what God does. He takes chaos and he's ordering that chaos. Uh, Verse 2 of Genesis 1, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of disorder or chaos, and then God, day by day, orders it. So he brings chaos into order. And so the water is this imagery of disorder and chaos. And now, now that I mentioned this, now that I mentioned that the, what water usually means, you will see this imagery throughout Scripture. You're going to start seeing it like, wow, there's water imagery throughout uh, all these other passages and places. And so one of the places that you see water are plays in the book of Exodus. Uh, the Israelites are rescued from slavery, and they're on their way out of Egypt, but, but they have a Red Sea in front of them, right? And so the, and the Egyptians are after them. So God parts the Red Sea, and Israelites cross on the dry land. Pharaoh and the Egyptians run after them, but the waters close. So the Israelites are saved through the water. Water is salvation and judgment at the same time now. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that the mark of salvation is the, sy- the symbol of being a Christian is baptism. 
It's, it's not an accident. Uh, you're going down into the watery grave and you're submerged into the waters. Your old self is symbolic, symbolically buried and out of the waters you come as a symbol of union with Christ in the resurrection. Water imagery is also salvation imagery. And that's why in our prayer, the last line says salvation belongs to the Lord. This, this phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord, this is the theme of this prayer. This is, this is what this prayer is really all about. And some say that this is the theme verse of the whole Bible. So a lot of scholars, as they look at it, they say, this is the theme of the whole Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So now that we got the fish out of the way and the imagery, now we can jump in and, and study uh, what this, this, particular, this particular prayer is all about. Um, and we get to talk about salvation, and in particular, we get to talk about repentance. So, as I mentioned earlier, this great fish has been appointed by God to swallow Jonah. Jonah is saved, but he's in the water prison, watery prison. And in fact, he's sinking lower to the bottom of the waters. Um, There has been a theme in, in the book of Jonah that we have seen, and I don't know if you caught up to it yet or not, but there's a theme that's been following, and it's the word down. If you read through the first chapter and then throughout the chapter two, you will see the word down constantly appears. Like Jonah goes down to Joppa. Uh, Jonah goes down to the bottom of the ship. Now he's going even farther down to the bottom of the waters. So the author has been showing us this this pattern that Jonah is going lower and lower and lower and lower until Jonah hits the lowest point, both physically and spiritually. In the midst of this lowest point, we hear a prayer, a confession, a repentance. In verse 2, he says, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So it took Jonah going to the lowest place for him to call out to the Lord. And maybe you remember from last week where the sailors were praying to their God. Jonah did not. Jonah was not praying, but he's in the belly of a fish, his own grave, and now he's crying out to God. And he says, For you cast me into the deep, this is verse 3, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your ways and your bellows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. And this, this is a strong language here. I, I am driven away. It's like saying, I, I was divorced. I was divorced from your sight. Yet, I shall again look upon the holy temple. Conjunctions in the Bible are incredible. Conjunctions in the Bible are just one of the, uh, I I love conjunctions. Like in Ephesians uh, passage, it's like, you were dead in sin, but God. That conjunction is beautiful, and same thing is happening here. Yet, I shall again look. In verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. 
at the roots of the mountain. Jonah is still describing the descending nature. He's saying, I'm at the roots, I'm at the bottom, scraping the mountains of the sea floor. Seaweeds are wrapped around my head. And then the next verse says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So what's going on here? What is this prayer talking about? Well, there's two things that just happened. First, Jonah realized his depravity. Jonah realized his depravity. Remember, he's the leading prophet of the day. He's a well-respected person. And in the belly of the fish, he has no religious activities to do. There's no one to impress. There's no one for him to stand up and quote scripture in front of. He's in the bottom of a sea all by himself, and it took him that long to realize that he's a sinner and that this is where his sin took him. And let me show you why Jonah realizes his sin and his depravity. In verse 2, he says, The belly of a Sheol, which is the grave, the very belly of the grave, as low as I can go. And then verse verse 3, he says, You cast me into the deep. Verse 5, he says, The deep surrounded me. Verse 6, he says, The roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah is seeing his sin, and he's seeing himself as sinner who can't fix himself. He knows that the bars are closing upon him forever. He can't fix it. What was Jonah's sin? Well, from chapter 1, Jonah thought that he was righteous. He thought the Ninevites were a bunch of sinners, and he thought that they had some issues. And for the first time now, in the belly of the fish, in the bottom of the sea, he realized that he has issues. And he's crying out to God in the prayer and saying, I am wicked. I'm sinking down. I don't deserve mercy. I am sinful. I'm depraved just as the Ninevites are. And that is the place. That is the place of salvation. That is the place of repentance. This is the starting point for all of us. Realizing that we have nothing to offer to God. Realizing that we're just as broken as the Ninevites Realizing that, that none of my self-help, running, pleasing, will ever work my way up to God. Realizing that I am wicked. And how that wickedness in our own hearts is played out is different for each one of us in this room. But each one of us in this room, apart from God, is trapped in the prison of our own sin. The bars have closed on us. Can you relate to Jonah? Can you relate to Jonah? Is there sin in your life that is taking you to a low place? Listen to this. What is beautiful about this story, about this this prayer, what's beautiful about all of this is that grace is always on the very bottom. Grace is always on the very bottom. You feel like you have nothing to offer God. That is the moment when grace hits you. When you realize that you are sinful as the next person in this room, that's the moment grace hits you. And we see this happening to Jonah. As soon as Jonah says, I get it, I'm deeply broken, I'm sinful man, he, despite his deep sin, realized that God's grace is much deeper and is ahead of him. And it covers all his sins. 
In verse 4, he says, Then I, I said, I'm driven away from your sight. That is him acknowledging that, he's, that, he's, that his sin has separated him from God. But look at the next line. Yet, despite my sin, despite the depth of my depravity, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The same thing happens in verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's talking about his grave here. And not just the grave in the ocean that he's drowning in, but the spiritual grave he realized he was in, spiritually dead, running from God. Yet, the next verse, you brought up my life from the pit. Jonah realized that he was a sinner, yet God is the one who saves. God is the one who offers grace. And notice the language here in both of these places. There's a language of the temple that comes in. It says, I shall again look upon your holy temple, and then my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So why is he talking about the temple language here? Like, why does the temple exist here? The temple was where God's presence was manifest in the Old Testament, right? Uh, Yes, God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. But in the Old Testament, he chose to specifically dwell in the temple. And so inside this temple, there was a room called Holy of Holies. Inside of the Holy of Holies, there was a slab of gold, which was called the mercy seat. And it was located over the Ark of the Covenant. No one could enter this room besides the high priest, Once a year, this high priest will enter this room on a day of atonement and sprinkle blood over the seat of mercy. And Leviticus 16, 14 through 15 describes this. It says, it's saying, and he shall take some of the blood, talking about high priest, the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Are you starting to see the gospel in all of this? Are you starting to see the gospel in all of this yet? No one can approach God. No one can come come to God and interact with the holy God. And we who are broken, sinful, definitely can't approach a holy God. But God made a way for our sins to be atoned for by the blood of the atoning sacrifice on the mercy seat. We're no longer condemned. And this sacrifice was ultimately paid in full on the cross. Jesus, the Son, of God, the Son of God, died for us. He shed blood, made atonement for our sins. It cleansed us. And now we can approach the mercy seat of God. Right? In Hebrew chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, it's a lengthy passage, but it's describing, it's describing how Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Verse 4 says, For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but body have you prepared for me. And birth offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. But then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by the will by that, uh, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
So Jesus sanctified us by dying on the cross and on our behalf. In other words, Jonah's prayer is a prayer of the gospel. I'm a sinner, but God provided a way. I am broken, yet God's grace is near. When this truly hits our hearts, when this realization, these two statements, I'm a sinner, but God provided a way, I am broken, yet God's grace is near. When this hits our minds and sinks down to our hearts, when, this, that when we realize our brokenness, when we truly encounter God's grace, our lives changes. Our lives changes. Jonah's lives changed. And because of God's grace, our lives change too. God's grace convicts us of our current condition, a uh, condition of sin, but His grace doesn't leave us there. God's grace always transforming us, changing us. Look at what, what Jonah says in verse 8, describing what just happened, his interaction with the gospel, right? His brokenness and but God statements, right? Well, what he says in verse 8 is, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. What, what is he saying in this verse? He says, he says, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with my idols. I'm done with approval of men. I'm done with self-righteousness. I'm done with what people think of me. I have encountered God and His grace and His steadfast love, and I am smashing my idols. And at first glance, first glance, you're like, wow, Joan is a changed man. You're like, that's right. That is, that he's a changed man. But we know what is to come, right? We know that the relapse that Jonah will experience in chapter 4. We know how angry Jonah gets. We know how, how, how confused he is when God shows mercy. And so we can conclude that Jonah is repentant in this moment, but he may not realize the depth of his sin. Jonah is repentant right now. He's repentant but he may not realize the depth of his sin. And that's all of us today. That's all of us today. We are forgiven. We are forgiven, but we may not realize the depth of our sin. We know and echo Jonah's words, salvation belongs to the Lord. Yet just like Jonah, a few pages later, our hearts deceive us. We fall into temptation to think that we know better than God. And therefore, want control over him with our sense of superiority or self-righteousness. Or, or the opposite, right? We just don't want God's control in our lives, so we run from him. And this prayer is the climax of running from God. And the answer to both in this prayer is to see the depth of our sin. It's to see the depth of our sin. It's to see how costly it was for Jesus to die on our behalf. That is definition of repentance. It's seeing sin as sin and confessing that sin to God and then with the help of the Holy Spirit, churning from it. That's what Jonah did in this moment. And verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and, he, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. So God saved Jonah. So this prayer shows us. It shows us our depravity. It shows us our, our brokenness. It show, this prayer shows us our need. 
This prayer shows us grace and mercy. This prayer puts all our hope in the hands of the one who holds salvation in his hands. As the last words of Jonah's prayer, salvation belong to the Lord. Listen, if you don't believe that Jesus is your salvation, look at this prayer. Look at this prayer. Examine this prayer and see where is the disconnect. Where is the disconnect? Is it because you think too much of yourself? Is it you look at it and you're like, oh, that's Jonah. I'm, I'm a little bit better than that. Or is it because you're trying to save yourself? Without God, we're all broken, spiritually dead, choosing ourselves over God, but Jesus made an ultimate sacrifice, and that is enough. That is, it is enough to make all of us whole. It is enough to bring us to life. It is enough to bring us to God. Jesus sacrificed his life so we can live. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how deep the storm might be, or as we're talking through this, no matter what kind of sin is, is hitting you or the temptation that's, that, that you're under, I want us to end our time tonight, today, not tonight, today, uh, a time of just prayer of confession. I want us to, to, to end our time with a prayer of confession. Uh, and I know we confessed our sins earlier. I know that we did a prayer time and we confessed our sins earlier. But I want, I want us to look within. I want us to look within. I want us to examine our hearts for places that the darkness has taken a stronghold. Listen, all of us are like Jonah and can be sinking right now. There's darkness in all of our hearts all the time. And, and don't act like you don't have it. You do, and you need to bring that before God. Bring it to light. And so as, as we're going to go into a time of prayer, are there areas of your heart that you have been neglecting sin? There are places in your heart that you just think that, that, that you just have been like, ah, you know what, that's, that's okay, I can do that. But you know that's sin. Are there areas of your heart where you need God's grace? As you start to ponder about those dark, those, those places that you don't really go there maybe very often, remember that God's grace covers that. That's what the cross was all about. Look within to see those dark areas. Look within and, and confess those things to God and let the Holy Spirit start the work in you. Let the Holy Spirit start to lead you to repentance. Let Him, the Holy Spirit, to churn you from where you're going and turn to, to live a life with Him. I said this earlier, but confess with your mouth and then turn from it. Let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. Let's pray.